about five years ago that residents of southwestern Ontario were shocked to learn that there was a dogfighting ring in the town of Tilbury in Chatham-Kent. But as much as many of us didn't want to believe it, it was true. The OPP made arrests and nearly 200 charges were laid against those accused of running an operation that saw pit bull dogs pitted against each other in brutal and violent fights. Of the dogs that were seized by officials, 21 were relatively healthy. There was also a litter of puppies. Now initially, the dogs were placed in the custody of the OSPCA, and since there is a pit bull ban in Ontario, and because the dogs were trained to fight, the decision was made to euthanize them. But animal rights activists intervened, with hashtag SaveThe21 trending on social media. Eventually, the euthanasia order was overturned, and the dogs were turned over to Dogtails Rescue and Sanctuary in King City, Ontario. Then they went to a facility in Florida called Dogs Playing for Life. It takes in shelter dogs and works with them until they're ready for a new home. They had struggles, but the dogs weren't the problem. It was what the dogs had been put through that was the problem. So what happened to these dogs? Where are they now? For some, it was a long road to get to the point where they could be adopted. On today's episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, hosted by Haley Cheng, we look at where some of these pit bulls ended up and how they're living now. To begin the story of where the pit bulls are now, we start with where they went after the ring was broken up. Amy Sadler is the founder and the CEO of Dogs Playing for Life. We reached her in Florida, and she told us that her organization had been invited to Canada to work with Dog Tales Rescue to teach them some of their methods for getting dogs out of the kennels and into the playgroups. We knew them at that, at that level. And they had discussed, Rob had discussed with us that there was this potential for this population of dogs that they might end up having ownership of, but that because of the breed ban, that they wouldn't be able to care for them themselves. And so he'd asked me if I had the ability to take on a larger population of dogs. And at that time, I told him that, well, I'm being told that there's a property that's going to be uh, donated to us, uh, an adoption center with a kennel and everything. But I mean, I'm just not sure if it's really going to happen. And it was so bizarre because we signed the paperwork on the property literally a week before uh, Dogtail's ended up with the ownership of the dogs. So it was uncanny timing. The timing was indeed uncanny. And while the stars aligned for their new home, that was just the beginning of the process for the dogs. There was still the process of preparing the facility for their arrival in Florida. Six-foot fences had to be made taller. Gaps in the fencing had to be mended. But once that was done, the Florida facility was ready to get the dogs. The only question was, what kind of shape would they be when they arrived? These dogs were trained to fight. Some had been on the receiving end of horrible violence. The range of behaviors they could have had was wide. They came with a considerable amount of unpredictability. These were things that Sadler and her staff had prepared for when they welcomed the dogs. They were definitely super skittish, really uh, nervous in the new environment. They were all handleable. There weren't any dogs that we felt that we needed any extra safety precautions to get them out of the truck to do a quick physical exam to make sure that they were okay, put a collar on them and get them into their kennels. So that was, we pretty much right away were able to handle them. But uh, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of nervousness, kind of looking over their shoulder type behavior. A lot of them were very skittish about being handled too much. You know, you could touch them, but they didn't want you to reach around and and touch under their bellies. There were a lot of them that were really skittish about that. What was most curious and what we noticed about them 
right from the beginning is that many of them wouldn't take treats or food. Some would. The one, most of them had enough anxiety that they didn't want treats. That wasn't helpful for them. And they didn't necessarily want to want to be petted either. That didn't feel comfortable for them. It was obvious to Sadler and her team the treatment the dogs had received and the confinement they endured had a huge impact on their behavior. So the usual methods of training dogs that had been in the shelter system wasn't going to work with these dogs, at least not right away. So the team got creative. It's interesting because a lot of dogs like this, giving them um, some space from you and freedom. So we had we had a a beautiful 13 acre, well, we ended up getting it fenced in. So they had, we had a big free roam area so we could let them drag a long line and kind of migrate and take a hike and a walk with us. Um, so they were able to become comfortable with us and then they were more tolerant of touching. So then petting could become a little bit more valuable for them. It just had to be the right kind of petting for them. If I touch you under the chin and I touch you on the butt gently and I'm trying to mold you into that sit, that's like gentle pressure. And when you're in the sit, I can take my hands off and and praise you. So it's like a release of that pressure tells you, yes, that's what I wanted from you. And that was the initial way that we were communicating to them so that we could teach them very specific commands like sit or come or down um, or off, all of those kinds of things. Sadler says it was about two months before the dogs got comfortable enough that the staff could kick the training into high gear. But it would be several more months before the dogs, who had once been trained to fight, got into a place where they had limited behavior problems and were comfortable around people. And eventually, they were ready for adoption. So 40% of the dogs ended up into just regular adoptive homes. And 17% of the entire pile of all of the 30 dogs that we received, 17% went into working homes. That was actually uh, four of them. Um, 6% are still awaiting placement. They're with partners. So they've left our care, but they are with other placement partners. Um, and they're currently still waiting to be adopted. And then 13% of the population ended up going to sanctuary. 6% of the dogs are with us. There was just two. And ultimately we have, so our save rate for the dogs is 93%. When this facility was offered to us, honestly, I was striving for a 50% uh, positive outcome rate for the dogs because I assume these, these really are the dogs that are, that have the most severe behavior problems that we're, we're trying to see, can we get past that? And are you adoptable or not? And it's really important to us that we are part of making sure that we are placing safe companion animals. So we just want to be the place where the dogs can really get that last um, best level of care and advanced training expertise So I was hoping for a 50%. But there was one pit bull that did not make it to the end of training. A dog named Joey had to be euthanized because of his behavior. And it was very difficult for the staff because it was clear to them what he and the others had gone through. They had struggles, but the dogs weren't the problem. It was what the dogs had been put through that was the problem. And that's what we have to really understand that sometimes even in the name of sheltering and trying to do well by them, just this concept of long-term isolated confinement in kennels is not uh, is not a good enough quality of life or way to live for any sentient being, you know, and you have these poor dogs that were in that situation for so long. So they really, um, we all learned a lot from them. And I'm hoping that that that's telling the story of these dogs. Now the outcomes, this is kind of what we've all been waiting for. Right. And uh, it's a good story to tell. And hopefully some minds will be changed as a result of it. One of the dogs that graduated from Sadler's training program was one they called Hansel. 
He was one of four dogs that was identified as having the potential to become a service dog. His journey was an interesting one. After being taken and trained by Sadler's team, he was sent to Philadelphia, where he was taken in by the Throwaway Dogs Project. It specializes in taking in rescue dogs and repurposing them for police work. Hansel trained with the organization until it was approached by the Millville, New Jersey Fire Department, which was looking for an arson canine detective. Hansel was thought to be the perfect fit for the fire department and was assigned to begin training as an accelerant detection canine. That is a dog that can sniff out whether or not fuel was used to start the fire. With Hansel beginning training in his new field, he was assigned a handler in Tyler Van Leer. The two completed 16 weeks of training together, establishing a new friendship and ultimately a new home for Hansel at Tyler's house. We caught up with Tyler to see how Hansel was doing. Everybody loves Hansel, that's for sure. It's pretty funny. They're you know they see Hansel, they go crazy, and then they're like, "Oh, hi, Tyler." I mean, why didn't see him standing there? You know, so <laughs> whenever he's out in the public and few kids want to see him, I bring him out, do like meet and greets with the kids, which he has no problems at all with kids. He loves kids, um, and they just absolutely love it. They later, um, it was actually pretty funny uh, about a week ago. Um, we had a kid come to the firehouse and actually bring Hansel a bone. So, like he he actually is like. As far as the community outreach, I mean, it's amazing what he does with that. His smile is lights up a room. That's that's for sure. Like he he's probably one of the happiest dogs I've ever seen. And like I said, I have three dogs at home, and he he by his Hansel's personality beats their personality by like miles, uh, for lack of a better term. He just I wish you know I wish I had his energy for one. Okay. <laughs> But as soon as he gets up, he's ready to go. And I wish I had his his positivity because, like, I mean, he 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 literally keeps me going. And it's not just people in New Jersey who have taken to Hansel. Van Leer told us that this dog, this dog whose destiny had been little more than an eventual fight to the death, was given national recognition late last year. In December, he was honored as one of the dogs of the year here in the United States. Uh, he was in the top ten. He got number four out of out of the ten, so that was a pretty big thing on the CW network. So that was a pretty that that was a a really good honor. The network pretty much did their research on you know dogs who have amazing stories, and they picked them based on where they came from, what hurdles they over you know overcame, and um, what they you know what they've done. You know what they what are they doing now. Versus what it, you know, how it was like then. The recognition was well deserved, not only as a compliment to what Hansel has accomplished, but for everyone involved in his development. Born into a dog fighting ring, and now the first pit bull arson detection dog. But his is not the only happy story to come out of what was a tragic and sad beginning. One of the other pit bulls, Jojo, was taken in by Haley Carter of Florida. She was casually browsing for a new companion on the Jacksonville Humane Society website one day. And when she came across Jojo, she knew instantly that she had found a match. But there was one part of Haley's adoption story that was definitely different than some of the others who had taken in pit bulls. Well, I'm going to be 100% honest. I didn't know the the story of these dogs right off the bat. I, I was living in an apartment with some of my best friends, and you know, we were all like 20, 19, 20, 21. 
So one night after my roommates and I threw a party for somebody's birthday, I was looking at the Jacksonville Humane Society website. And I noticed that there was a dog that I had been looking at in September um, that I wanted to adopt and he was still available. Not only was he still available, he was an eligible bachelor. So his adoption was sponsored. And I turned to my friend Anastasia, who was hanging out with us, and I said, you know, I don't think this is right. Like, this dog has been here for months. She said, well, put some pants on. Let's go find out. So we made the trip up to Jacksonville Humane Society, and I approached the woman at the front desk, and I asked for JoJo by name. And she looked kind of surprised. Uh, and she pointed me in the direction of his kennel and encouraged me to look around. And I, I saw his little face, and I just fell in love immediately. You know, I noticed all the scars, and I noticed that he didn't really have teeth, but he was just laying down on the floor, and he seemed kind of shut down. So I waited about two and a half hours to meet him, um, and when I did, it was just love at first sight. Haley wasn't aware of JoJo's backstory when she went to the Jacksonville Humane Society to ask about adopting him. But once she learned the story of the Tilbury Pitbulls, and with a background in animal rescue, she knew there would be challenges. She kept him away from other dogs and other animals. But when she moved home to Los Angeles, she knew that wouldn't be possible. Her father had several dogs, and between the two of them, they knew they would eventually have to get JoJo socialized with other dogs. So she set about training him to be around other animals, even a cat. Yeah, I think that's that's probably my proudest moment of my whole life, is seeing you know, a dog that I was told could never be around other animals. You know, taking a nap with a little kitten. Jojo was not a young dog when he was adopted by Haley. He had lived a life that had been filled with violence and suffering. But he lived out his remaining days surrounded by love and was cared for until he passed away from natural causes. And as Haley looked back at her time with Jojo, she related a story that, when it happened, left her furious. But as time passed, she started to see the humor in it. To put the story into context, Jojo was a bit of a shoe eater and a trash digger and was usually crated when Haley was out of the home. Jojo had a quality where he didn't like being left behind and so when he felt left out, he acted up. But this day was different. Haley was only going to meet a friend for a quick bite to eat. I decided, you know, I'm not going to crate him. I'm only going to be gone for 15 minutes. And I came back and he had eaten his way through my living room. And by that, I mean, chewed up my record player eight pages out of my books, destroyed some plants, ate a hole in my couch. And while it was really frustrating in the moment, it's really funny to look back on because, um, you know, Jojo and Mama are kind of in the same, in that regard, where they want to be included, they want to go. And while Jojo was gone, Haley did adopt another pit bull named Mama, who still lives with her. She said it warms her heart to see how many of the Tilbury pit bulls are living now. And there's no question, the people who took these pit bulls in had to have a warm heart to take on the challenge of trying to provide a safe and loving future for the dogs. All along the process, there was a commitment from everyone involved, from Dogtail's rescue and sanctuary, for finding the dogs' homes and providing funding, to dogs playing for life. And Paws for Life, which was the final stop for Maurice, a fellow dog from the Tilbury Fighting Ring. Maurice was adopted by Sarah Menchel and her boyfriend, Alex. We found this rescue group that we had never heard of before. And um, what attracted us to 
him um, when we saw his picture and him sitting there all, you know, handsome looking um, was his name. Actually, Maurice is oddly enough the same, the name of my boyfriend's father. So we're like, oh, haha, that's funny. He has the same name. And so the director of operations, John, um, he said, hey, do you want to do you want to meet him? We said, sure, why not? After spending some time with Maurice, Sarah and Alex fell in love with him and decided they wanted to add him to their family. They hoped for the best but expected the worst when they brought him home. But as it turned out, the training he got after being rescued from the dogfighting ring left them with little to worry about. We laugh now because I foolishly went out and bought baby gates to think like, oh, I have to keep them away from the garbage and I have to keep them away from the counters and the stoves. And like, I went just total like new mom you know, overly cautious. And he was kept in a crate for like the first two weeks while we were at home because we didn't, we didn't know. We just, we didn't know what kind of dog he was. We didn't know if he'd get into trouble. And it was, it was for his safety. After a couple of weeks or we would leave him for a couple of hours, like maybe to go to the grocery store or what have you. And just my boyfriend have to be like, you, you know, have faith. Like he's a good dog. He's not going to get into anything. And so sure enough, like little by little, we would leave um, a couple hours at a time and he'd just be hanging out on the bed or, you know, on his bed, just like hanging out, minding his own business. And then he'd be happy to see us when we came home. And we felt so fortunate that we were able to get a dog that, you know, not only was really smart and knew a lot of commands already, but like he kept to himself. Eventually, Maurice realized that he was in his forever home. And that's when Sarah says he really settled in. I remember after a few weeks, he really started to kind of open up a little bit. And I remember there was a picture I took of him that is like very early in his Instagram history, or and it it may have been shared on my own personal account. I can't recall at the time, but it was like the first time he really smiled, like looking at the pictures that we had seen that were from the adoption website, and then looking at him looking so happy. It was just really, it was heartwarming to see like he finally it seemed like he finally realized that this is my home. These are my people. I have a good life now. And it was just, it was really sweet. Sarah isn't the only one of the people who took in a Tilbury fighting dog to set up a social media account to chronicle their new lives. Others have as well. And those accounts serve the purpose of letting everyone who helped these dogs check in on them and see how they're doing. Social media adds such an interesting element to a dog's adoption in general, and especially for adoptions such as the dogs from the Tilbury fighting ring. It turns an already rewarding job into much more, with the ability to follow along with the dogs they helped. While owners like Tyler, Haley, and Sarah are happy to keep everyone updated on the dog's well-being, it also goes to show how passionate everyone involved in the continued success of these dogs really is. Because of everyone fighting for them and, and being their advocates, they persevered and were able to relocate them to a place where not only they were safe from breed specific legislation, but also they were safe from, you know, people that just didn't believe that these dogs could be rehabilitated. And thankfully, because Maurice wasn't born prior to the rescue effort, um, you know, he never, he never was exposed, at least directly to, you know, being fought and being a male and seeing how he's very athletic and very strong. You know, it's, makes me shudder to think of what his destiny would have been. And it's terrible. And it breaks my heart that that that's what his destiny was going to be before, you know, fate intervened and, and he became a rescued dog. And, you know, even though he wasn't even born yet, the fact of like, that's where his path was headed. And to think that so many other dogs were exposed to such horrible, 
horrendous things is, is heartbreaking. And I'm so glad that, you know, so many of them were able to, to be not only just rescued, but either they were rehomed or they've, you know, they've been placed in a facility that, that understands dogs down to a science and takes care of them and gives them enrichment that they wouldn't get elsewhere. It's just, it's really, it's really an amazing thing. What, what has happened to these dogs. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was written by Patrick Magermans and Scott Kitching and produced by Patrick Magermans. On the next episode, the first of a three-part series looking at sex trafficking in southwestern Ontario. In hotels from Windsor to Toronto, traffickers force women to sell their bodies to men. We'll hear from one of those women and experts who have been working to stop the trafficking of women in our region. That's on the next episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, a presentation of Blackburn Media. Thank you.